Hey y'all, this is All Things Are Gone, and uh, I want to thank Randy Rex for coming by again. We had some technical difficulties, and I want to thank him for coming by to redo this interview. Uh, we had some great conversation, and really introspective, and I loved all his takes. Uh, really made me think, and I hope it makes you do the same. Thank him for letting us use Charlene's song for the intro to this podcast and uh, wouldn't be the same without it. This is All Your Things Are Gone. Hello. 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 Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Um, I meant to have this plugged in now you can hear me. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah. I was just, um, I was trying to actually um, review some of our history, so I was prepared for this. <laughs> How'd that go? Oh, not too bad. I mean, there, you know, there's limited um, information online, so it's kind of... Um, but you know, I did find a a, a, a an interview and interest that kind of was interspliced with some uh, live performance that's on Brainwashed. Cool. Can you send me that? Uh, it's, well, it's on YouTube actually. Okay. Um, yeah. Let me see. It's like. Well, I don't know. Uh, I, I sure can send it to you. But all I did was put in a, a search for our band, Boston, and then it was one of the five things that came up <laughs> our, our pitchfork review um somebody had done a quick uh, like a, a synopsis of our career at a certain point and then um i found that and you know, i was just checking it out it's very interesting to, to look back yeah how do you feel how do you feel about it now looking back on it well i didn't cringe too much <laughs> that's good <laughs> yeah i mean i think that's the that's the, the risk is um, there are times where you, you look back and you cringe, and then there are times where you look back and uh, you know you say, "Oh, you know that wasn't that wasn't that bad." <laughs> maybe that was pretty good, you know. In some, maybe it wasn't as or it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> we were always really hard, tough critics on ourselves, so. Yeah, well, I you know, obviously, I I, I think that. You know that you have you you're as a band you guys had a as a had a propensity for taking a while to do everything you know like you were very particular about your recording and all that jazz. Um, yeah. How, yeah. Where did that come from? <laughs> well, is that is that, too, is that is that is that too deep of a question there? Well, I mean. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that occurred to me is like, oh, God, you want me to go back into my, you want to hear about my parents and, and how sure. I was raised? Absolutely. If you yeah. want to get into that, I'll, I'll do it. Well, God, you know, uh, you know, my, my, um, 
I make my living as a as a therapist. So yeah. I do that with my clients all day nowadays. So it's uh so yeah, Charlene I don't know. I, I think Matt and I, um, you know, so Matt Morand and and me, Randy, mm-hmm. um, just saw my den- self-identifying. I, I assume we're already rolling. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. As, soon, as soon as you okay. answered the phone, we, we were we were done. Well, yeah. I'll leave. I'll, maybe I'll leave in the the rings beforehand, uh, just, just so people know <laughs> we're talking on the phone. Just set yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Matt and I, we formed it initially, and uh, we very like-minded. In, in some ways, and I think one of the one of the ways is that we were exceptionally perfectionistic about what we were doing. While co- combined, but you know, the the irony is that we we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah. uh, we we had we had no training in this, and I had only picked up guitar in my last year of college. And I was self-taught, and and both of us. But you know, so it was being perfectionistic about something that we were very passionate about, but we had no real skill in. Yeah. Um, we, well, I think yeah, that, I think so that that's part of the case for a lot of people in this uh, kind of era that we're talking about. There's some people that yeah, were like yeah. really trained, and then there were a lot. I think more often than not, including my case, I was self-taught. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of people were kind of in the same boat. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I don't know. I think it does seem as though we were more perfectionistic than most. Because <laughs> uh, if you look at our track record and our release record, it was pretty sparse. <laughs> uh, do you do you find as a therapist it's hard to like self-assess that kind of stuff for you? No, not at all. I mean, really? That's probably why. Yeah, it's probably why I got into the the career path that I did is because I kind of found it necessary to do that for myself along mm-hmm. the way. It's rare, and, um, I think. Not among well, therapists, but among people, I think. I, I suppose so. Um, I, I think people... I don't know. I mean, I don't have the statistics on this, but and of course, my, my, my view on this is skewed because I meet with people who are generally interested in... Uh, doing, entering into that process. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know about the population at large, but you know, my I think. But I mean, if if we want to tie that into why why are we creative and why why do we end up playing music and expressing ourselves in in ways that um, uh, you know, if, if it's personal at all, and I think a lot of what we were doing was very personal in terms of the content of the music and the mood and what we were trying to capture and, and create in, in other people receiving the music was absolutely connected to um, therapy. You know, I think we were really tr- processing hmm. our own difficulties in, in life and hopefully connecting with other people who also wanted to feel... I mean, our, our I think Matt and I talked about what the perfect song would be, you know, and uh, often, and and I think in the beginning, this is this. I remember having some deeper conversations with him in the in the very beginning, and we were talking about well, we want something that starts off pulling people in because it's it's maybe it's um, sad or it, it has this feeling of 
connecting to some type of suffering, you know, um, and creating atmosphere that either mood-wise uh, facilitated that. And then along the way, there's a transformation so that at the end of the song, there's a sense of victory over that. Really? That's a very interesting way of... I, yeah, that's, that's, that's a very interesting and, uh, I don't know, thought-provoking and I think a pretty progressive way of thinking about songwriting. Well, with pop pop songs, yes. I mean, we. I mean, I mean uh, and let let me be clear. I, I don't know how how often we achieve that, but <laughs> um, that was the attempt. And I think that we didn't feel in the beginning. We tended to we we were writing much longer songs. Um, mm-hmm. A five minute song was a short song, and a seven to in, you know into the teens felt like. That that felt like maybe we can achieve what we're trying to achieve if we have this long, you know, I don't know, novel of a song as opposed to a quick, you know, paragraph. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it was it was we we were ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, well, uh, what funny. what led you what led to you starting guitar uh, you know as late as you did in college? Well, in college. When I was in school, I was in I was in the art program, so I was in a fi- fine art major, and I started hanging out with a bunch of artists and musicians. and And one of the coolest bands I had ever seen, I thought, was um, uh, this band called Swirlpool. Swirlpool, I never heard them. Swirlpool, yeah. Well, it was a college band, and it didn't exist beyond college. Um, there is a documentary, a really poorly made, like you know, student-made documentary that actually is strangely on the I don't know somehow in like the NME archives. I think <laughs> really. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Last time I checked, I was like, "Why is this here? It's not like we didn't have any sort of relevance." I mean, but so I ended, I ended up joining that band, and oh. um, but I but I joined as a drummer because they wanted um, they wanted somebody who didn't know how to play drums to play drums. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good so, recipe. Well, I took I took a Mo Tucker approach right. on it, and I I had a I, I had a pre existing sense of rhythm, um, and just and we had they had a very sparse kit, and it didn't at first it didn't even didn't have a kick drum, you know, like Mo Tucker. Mm-hmm. And Were you standing up? On, I kind of, uh, no. Okay. No, I wasn't. Um, well, yeah, I didn't. I didn't take on take that part from her. Whatever her shtick, but uh, I eventually did add a kick drum and was able to kind of facilitate a very simple beat. And um, but anyway, so this band was um, just so cool to me, and I still look back at some of the songs as being some of the best pop songs combined with this aesthetic of sort of a, a dirty driving. Um, Trance like at times, but just also just super catchy and like pop, poppy and ambient in all the good ways. You know, kind of a lot of the same things that I think we were striving for in Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was in that band. It didn't last beyond college because I already went their separate ways. And then uh, along the way, I just started. I picked up a guitar and started to try to learn how to play on my own and. Um, just in really simple droney ways like I think I took my cue from 
Spaceman 3, playing with fire, you know, this sort of, you're almost playing the guitar like a sitar, mm-hmm. moving on a string, yeah. So I learned how to make sounds, and, and, and I learned chords, basic stuff, and I just kept doing that so that the, by the time I was in my next band, which was based out of New York City with one of my friends from Swirlpool, um, I was playing guitar. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, why do you, why do you think that you and your brothers just gravitated towards uh, that type of music? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, my brothers who were in Lock Groove. Yeah. Um, I'm talk to I'm going to talk to Adam tomorrow. Oh, great, great. Um, yeah. Well, I think. I know that I had an impact on their musical taste because I'm the older brother, you know, um, and, but of course they, they, um, gravitated towards their own, um, you know, art, the artists and things that they thought were interesting, but why, 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 why did we end up having similar interests? Yeah. It seems seems kind of counterintuitive, honestly, just because of what you were talking about. You're like, you know, the, the, trying to make that perfect thing, you know, very, whereas that music scene, even though I think I know like, you know, Kevin Shields and people like that are very perfectionistic. The music itself is quite, you would think is like, a, a kind of unwieldy, I guess, in a sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Matt and I were trying to make as much noise as possible. It's the idea was, at first was to have samplers and, and things going so that we, he and I could do it on our own and just make it sound like a full band, like mm-hmm. a huge sound with only two people. It didn't end up, not wasn't the path we took eventually, but um, yeah, it, it, what happens is I think when you're la- when you are playing in a very simplistic hopefully melodic or catchy not not necessarily always melodic but what we did was it was lots of layers of very simple hopefully beautiful or and or interesting you know uh things going on but then you're right it can get a little unwieldy if you do too many layers and it, it gets very challenging to try to reproduce that live or balance that out in terms of just mixing and but, yeah. Did you ever... But, but, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to try to come back to the question of the aesthetic and why uh, my brothers are not... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I guess... I, I, I don't know exactly why, but I think it had something to do... I get... I don't know. I mean, part of... I'll come back to music being therapeutic. There's something yeah. for me that I think when when immersed in sound... And there's a certain quality to the the maybe the the melodies uh, and the um, I don't it, it's hard to put a finger on, but I will say that I know there, we all sort of got into this idea of repetitiveness and simplicity becomes trance-like in a certain way, mm-hmm. and that trance tranced-out experience was it, it it was elevating um it mood wise and it felt uh you know and if the music did its job then it felt yeah that feeling of victory or victoriousness mm-hmm. or just 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 um 
getting beyond the the, the painful mundane stuff. Um, I, you know, we don't always we we don't often think of pop music maybe in those highfalutin terms, but um, I think that's that was part of it is just that we all wanted to feel like that. <laughs> there is something emotional about shoegaze kind of stuff. I don't know if you want to put it in those categories, but uh, it yeah, certainly is something sure. that you, you, like you were saying, you you immerse yourself in that sound and you can lose it, lose yourself a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that might be, you know, uh, therapeutic or transcendent or whatever the hell you want to call it. I certainly believe yeah, that. Yeah. What were you guys listening right. to? Were you listening? I mean, obviously, Spaceman Three. You said, but uh, obvi- would you might have played Valentine? What else? Well, it depends. I think what era we're talking about. <laughs> well, I guess. Uh, I, uh, I, I mean, when you and your brothers were, I don't know, together. You grew up in Pennsylvania, correct? Yeah. Well, when we when we grew up, yeah, we grew up in Pennsylvania, and um, I think my I gravitated quickly I, I, well, if, if I would say in middle school when I first started to get interested in music I was interested in punk music and and uh, hip-hop you know and hip-hop was there wasn't there wasn't a time I mean it was you know building but there wasn't I mean we're talking you know I graduated from high school in 89 so that was Hip hop was still so new. Rap was such a big new new thing, mm-hmm. and punk music. I don't know. I guess I get. I, I I floated, and then then I got into a little bit of you know like Hendrix, yeah, and things like that. But um, I would say my first real love was punk music because it just it was. I think I was just uh, had a lot of anger about um, I mean so our, our upbringing was pretty pretty darn good in a lot of ways you know so we're very very like we grew up in the suburbs mm-hmm. pretty great family situation as far as that goes not not that it was perfect but you know it was, it was pretty darn good uh, as compared to most let's say um, but I remember just having a lot of, I think, existential angst and anger. And, About and, anything and in particular? Well, when I say existential, I mean that there, I felt as though there were deeper things that were important that I wasn't being helped or, or that with, or that, and that things were not being addressed, and that the adult world was oriented towards sending us down a path of just figuring out what you want to do and go to college and then get a good paying job. And I was like, yeah, but we're all going to die. <laughs> why, why are we, why are we all so stressed out? This is pissing me off. Why, why bother? Like, I think, yeah, why bother? And, and, and why is nobody talking about this? And why is nobody, you know, it was, I, I you know, in, in a way, when, when we look back at our, our uh, adolescent years, I think a lot of times, it seems like this causeless anger, mm-hmm. but I, I think there, I think maybe the causes weren't, you know, so easy to put your finger on, but I think they were there. So, 
punky, punk music. Punk music, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, anger, right? Yeah. And then, and then I think later I didn't want to feel so angry anymore. I think I just started to feel sad. And so then sad, sad music. And then, and then, uh, yeah, and then wanting to be able to transcend that as, and, and have a transcendental or a spiritual almost feeling when listening to music. That to me started, that was another, I think once I was in college, that was the revelation. I wanted to feel like I was carried away, that I was also just, but I, I love catchy stuff too. So I wanted to kind of combine that as much as possible. What were you sad about? And can you can you think about what was it? Just just like the unknowing of everything that you were trying to as yeah. as, a, as an adolescent. Or yeah, I mean, in, in through college, I think I think yeah, I think it really was uh, more of a an existential, you know, sadness and and uh, and, and angst. You know, just this not knowing how to reconcile the impermanence of everything with um, what you know what what is important what what and in terms of um, what's important to me versus what seems to be foisted on us as as you know within our culture or even among our peers which like what should we be focusing on and treating as important um, yeah, I, I think I think it was just a lot about death. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 uh, heavy. Yeah. Because you don't because yeah. you obviously I mean I don't know how you felt in your twenties or like you know when I was twenty four twenty five uh, like you know you think you're like this is it I'm I'm never death there's no death there's I can. I'm living my best life or whatever the hell you want to call it and you you never think there's going to be an end. And then maybe see you you had that you had that realization far before I think most people do. That that started for me in middle school. Jesus. Yeah, so I was I I really started to become hyper aware of 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 the the uh impermanence Mm-hmm. of everything at an early age and I definitely wasn't equipped to handle it but I mean there's there's a whole lot of other stuff going on at that age too you know it's not yeah. like I'm only dwelling on that it's also like man I really like this girl and she doesn't even you know look <laughs> at me or you know just I, or I don't or I just I don't know how to approach um, you know all that stuff or wanting wanting to be cool and wanting to Oh, there's there's so much going on to distract. From. Yeah, I was gonna say, do you think those are all distractions from what we think as human? Because you know we're obviously aware of our our uh, end, I guess. Um, yeah. Do you think these are all distractions in order to deal with that sort of end or the the, the understanding yeah, well, of it? That's, that's a good question. I. So now you're you're now you're now speaking to somebody who has been meditating every day almost since about 2001 or 2002. Wow. So, you know this that well I mean that's what if, if you can you can take different pathways if you are if you are obsessed with this stuff like I have been and for me I just felt as though I needed to find a way I mean it it wasn't just there were other circumstances that kind of pushed me into um, the path of meditation, which is, you know, for some 
not everybody understands what a good good meditation practice is about. It's not just about learning how to calm down, but uh, <laughs> it's also to learn how to um, not just logically acknowledge that you know there's this is all temporal and um, that there's there's an end to the physical experience of being alive and but but there's a deeper reconciliation that can happen uh, and, and you know as they you know there's hopefully if you have a good practice there's insight and some awakening along the way and I can't claim to be you know some enlightened person but I just I just know that there is this benefit to it that goes beyond the conventional uh, measurable outcomes that have certainly been documented in research and things. But have you gotten closer yeah. to what you think you need to realize <laughs> as as a human uh, and and dealing with your own mortality? I guess. Because well, I, really I, I know I know a lot of people who meditate and like me personally, sure. I I I can't get I can't do it because honestly, I don't want to know right. what goes on inside my head. Really, uh, if I if I start yeah, to think about it, I'm you know that would probably be the death of me right there. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, I know a lot of people who are who are very uh, you know, exploring it as you are, um, like. Uh, from Ghostbox, uh, Chris and uh, those those guys they 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 talk a lot about that stuff too, and uh, I'm I'm interested in it, and uh, I'm wondering uh-huh. how uh, enlightening or rewarding it is. Well, so it's interesting because to ask, so in the Tibetan tradition, it's. It's unheard of to ask a teacher how far they've gotten. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm just. I'm just bringing this up as as an example. I'm not in the Tibetan. I'm not practicing in the Tibetan tradition. Uh, I'm just throwing that out there because it's a very tricky question. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I were to say. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm halfway there. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, I'm sure well, I'm, it's different for everybody, right? I'm, I've, or like, if I were to say, yeah, I'm there, I'm there, 100. percent You know, so then um, that calls into question all kinds of things, and I, and, you know, I, and I think that somebody who truly understands wouldn't answer in such definitive, concrete ways. Anybody who says they're enlightened is is probably not somebody you really want to listen to. <laughs> uh, so, um, but it, it, the only the only reason I. Well, I do. I, I well, let me put it this way. I believe it's the single most important thing that I've ever done with my life. Wow! And and, and that it informs everything else. You help and, people and all the time, right? I mean, that's this is what you do. Yeah, that's my job. That's I do the best that I can to do that. And this for me has been transformative, hmm. and absolutely, I I. I the, the benefits, I guess, if we're going to talk about that, have been both concretely measurable. Um, I mean, it's all subjective within me, but I can say me- measurable within my own sort of framework and also just very subtle and profound in another way that I could never begin to measure. And I will say it's just an ongoing... For me, I, can, I look at it as an ongoing 
investigation or and or an experiment into this mystery and um, and sometimes it's just ameliorative if I'm if I'm extra stressed or I'm having other difficulties but there is a deeper very profound thing that can happen if you are doing entering into a practice that's sincere and and, and guided with a good teacher or, or group or whatever mm-hmm. um, absolutely I I I can speak to that with with authority. <laughs> I can't. I'm not going to speak to my what to what degree sure. I have, you know, attained some type of um, inner peace or or enlightenment because that's that's not something for me to really. I don't. I don't. It, that that is funny because that's that's one of the reasons I entered into it. Is like, yeah, well, yeah, of course I want to be enlightened. I want to. I want to break free from from the, all this horrible suffering and, and the further I go in to the practice the less concerned I am about that type of idea hmm. do you become I, more empathetic do you think uh, I do think yeah that's a good question yeah that's a good I can ask I can answer that's a question I can I answer mean, very and it yeah. helps you with your with your patients I imagine absolutely absolutely I mean not just in terms of um knowing what could be helpful and what's not, but also in terms of me being 100% or as close to it as I can be present when no matter what I'm hearing and what they're bringing up, and you know. Hmm. Because that's, that's uh, when somebody is really paying attention and they're not judging you. <laughs> that's tough. No, no matter what you're saying. Yep. You know, that's very powerful. Sure. So did you? When did you? When did you uh, discover this? You said what? What year was it? I was, uh, I, yeah, I think it was. It was in fits and starts. I would say somewhere around two thousand and one. I, I began to really try to put some things into practice. Mm-hmm. I think by two thousand and two, I had. I had eventually, at that point, tricked myself into figuring out. I had to kind of trick myself into <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It's very hard to create a discipline, you know, where you're doing nothing for a period of time. Yeah, I mean that, that that's nothing. a that's an interesting uh, dichotomy between, especially Americans in general, but uh, mm-hmm. trying to find that time to put aside. Like I remember, and this is this is only in reference to what you're saying. Taking the time, I remember when I uh, one time I. Like I uh, was gonna do gonna do LASIK, and they said, "Okay, well, you have really dry eyes, so you have to sit in the dark by yourself with a towel on your face for an hour." And I couldn't fucking I couldn't fucking do that shit. <laughs> so I ima- I mean I'm not saying it's the same thing, but like that time of that type of patience, that type of time, you know, is kind of, I think what you're saying. You need to take that that time out of your life to, to explore these things. And it's difficult for most people. It is, yeah. Well, it's difficult to create a discipline almost... When you're trying to create a discipline that requires a, a, a big change, I mean, that, that's hard to do. I mean, whether it's going to the gym or changing your diet or quitting mm-hmm. smoking or whatever it is. But, yeah, yeah it's hard. So... Yeah, I had to kind of figure out ways to get myself to just sit, and eventually, 
And eventually I got there. And then, then I think that's when the benefits started to uh, reveal themselves more fully and consistently. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it's not unlike going to the gym where you can't just go once or twice, you know? <laughs> yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah. So, I mean, when, yeah. when you, uh, do you think that this type of, if, if you experienced it a little earlier, would it, would it helped you with your music a little bit at the time? Hmm. I've never thought about that. Um, well, un- well, 2002 is when we put out our first record. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had been making music and this is, so I also have to say that there is a period between 2000 and 2008 where I was extremely ill. Oh. So I was very, I was very sick for the whole, you know, and we, we should have been doing a lot more, um, touring and, and shows and things and. We we did as much as we could, but I was I was suffering from a really difficult illness that was um, never never really diagnosed, hmm. um, but it was it was a pervasive like an infection or something like that. Uh, I did I did that was part of it, but it was also a, a digestive and um, uh, sensitivities to foods chemicals. Just I ju- I was just. You know, I, I was nauseous all the time, felt horrible. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, when I look back, I, so I was just, like I mentioned, that video um, that I was watching, the the brainwashed video on YouTube of us playing, and there was a little interview, and I'm like, man, I was underweight. I was really <laughs> underweight because I was struggling. I was, ve- I was, it was really hard for me to do shows and especially hard to, to tour do you think that was the impetus so of you meditating? It was one of them. Yeah, I was really desperate. Mm-hmm. Did it? I mean, yeah. do you think it worked? I do. I think awesome. it was. Yeah, I mean, I, it was, there were other things that I was doing as well, but I think it was one of the most important um, things I entered into for sure. Did you acupuncture with Adam at the time? I did. You did. All right. Yeah, I went to. Uh, yeah, where he where he worked. Um, for acupuncture for a couple of few years. Yeah. That was another thing. I emptied, emptied my bank account. <laughs> doing that, well, music will do that to you. I mean, obviously, but, uh, yeah. I mean, sure uh, so when, when you were, how did you get to the point where you were going to do all this stuff yourself recording wise? I guess that, you know, well, I think again, that was a result of Matt and I, being control, um, being control freaks, and we wanted the freedom. We we were both doing four track recordings when we met. You know, back in the day when they had cassette four track recorders. Mm-hmm. And um, back in and the then, day, um, yeah, yeah. And then um, and then we borrowed. I think we borrowed my brother's eight track cassette, which was amazing. Um, and then at the time, and then we. Uh, Tascam? A Tascam 388. All right. Which was a quarter inch 8 track, uh, reel to reel. Um, you know, this, you know, it was supposed to be sort of a portable console, but it was heavy as anything. Um, carry, like two or three people to carry this thing. Portable, but, uh, portable for the 1980s, I'm sure. 
Yeah, right, right. Well, we were into the 90s, so it was a, vintage, it was a piece of... Yeah, I was going to say, that, that machine was made in the 1980s, I think. Yeah, so some of our first vinyl uh, singles were entirely recorded with that machine. Uh, we recorded probably in the late 90s. And, um, you know, along the way, we just realized that for what we were trying to do, which was so ambitious... And was the and, and which also included a lot of studio time experimentation. We would never have been able to afford going to one of the bigger studios and, and just you know booking hours of time and um, and being able to and been able to experiment. And a lot of the even the songs themselves came out of studio experimentation. You know, we, it wasn't from practicing and then jamming and. Um, as, as much as that happens as well, there was a lot of music that came from just, hey, let's record. Okay, I got this little thing. And then we started to build on it from there. And so it was kind of, it fit, it fit our, our whole, our needs quite well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we upgraded, you know, we upgraded to, uh, well, I think it was an Otari. I can't remember the, the, the name of the machine, but it was a, it was a one inch 16 track. Um, and you were doing all this in your basement in what Belmont or no no not Belmont no, what was it Watertown? We were close. We were in Newton. Newton. Um, very very close to Watertown. Um, but yeah, we we found this house where we had a big basement. Um, neighbor. It was a single family house. Um, and we yeah we we actually set up the the eight track was up upstairs on the ground floor. And then, and the mixing console was up there, and it was all connected to. We used um, Cubase. I don't even know if Cubase is still around, but it was. It is, it, I think. Was, okay. Yeah. Well, it was. Um, we weren't ready to go into the to the big leagues, I guess, with Pro Tools at the time. So, but it was it was a very effective program. Um, so yeah, we had all that stuff set upstairs, and we had all the cables running downstairs into the basement. Um, we had our whole practice area and amps set up everywhere, and Matt in, was collecting vintage synthesizers and drum machines, and yeah, you know, so we had a, tons of gear in this house. It was all over the place, so we just used the whole house to record. It was great. Uh, that yeah, I remember that basement being. Uh, it was fairly. I mean, it was, I remember it being uh, a little claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there was sure. stuff everywhere. The music, the music was there's yeah. so so you know there was so much stuff everywhere. It was great, uh, and I'd never seen anything like that because I was young when I saw it. You know, I was probably like uh, yeah. 21 or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's a big furnace down there too. Mm-hmm. Like an oil burning furnace that we would have to shut off when we were playing, and then it would get all cold, and then we turn it back on or we would forget to turn it back on until we were freezing and it stank and yeah good time so uh, you said that you had problems with the, the live show you guys didn't play that much correct well I mean locally I think we we there was a period where we were it was pretty good it was pretty regular I would say we, we um, maybe not the, the most I don't know I don't know it came and went and then there was a period I think when we released our album, we were we were playing very regularly uh, at at most of the mid-sized clubs, you know, Middle East TTs, mm-hmm. um, and then much later, Great Scott. But at that point, um, 
I think it was around 2005 or so when Ian, our bandmate Ian, who was playing drums. Um, so at first we were a three-piece, Matt, me, and Ian, and Ian would play drums, and then sometimes if we were doing drum machine, he would come up and play keyboards. Um, but then we added his then-girlfriend to play bass, and so it became a four-piece. And then, But then they decided they were going to move to Brooklyn. <laughs> And that really screwed us Sons of bitches. Over. Yeah. No, it was just really sad. And um, so we, Matt and I decided to continue on, and we just enlisted the friend, help of friends to play bass, play drums. And, you know, there was a lot of just kind of pulling people in. My brother Marty played drums. Uh, we had band, gosh, I think it's on the credits of our friend Electric, uh, our, our most recent release. Mm-hmm. Um which is on Bandcamp. Um, so I, I can't even I can't even give you the list of everybody because it was it was a long list of bass players and drummers that we had. That's all right. I think I think a lot a lot of like uh, those you know that type, especially bands in that era had a lot of drummers, a lot of like different members coming in and out, and I think that's what makes it so great. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was great. It was it was great to play with different friends. Like we did, we played with Adam Brilla, and we played with Matt's younger brother, and we played. You know, it was it was really great. And in some points, but it, there's something to be said for having a cohesive band that sure. knows the songs. Did the, the, this like really? Uh, I mean, these type of things. Were, when you when you had when you made the decision, like, all right, well, Ian's leaving. Like, what are we gonna do now? Were you prepared for like kind of letting go a little bit on your? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I can speak for myself. I don't think so. That was that was heartbreaking. And and when you say letting go, do you mean letting go of control? Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or I mean, because because you, you have so many people coming in and out, you know, it's it's tough. And I think most people coming in would probably be like, of course, yeah, uh, you know, we'll we'll do whatever you want us to do, but um, right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's more like <laughs> All right, all right. I mean, yeah, some pe- people did. Uh, when it came to recording, we would definitely let people, uh, especially drummers. My brother Marty is such a great drummer. He is. He's um, a powerhouse. Yeah, we we started we started getting into this thing, and we we had a, we also had another great drummer drummer, um, Jeff McIsaac, and he he was from Seattle, and then he ended up moving back to Seattle, but. Um, Marty and Jeff, but I remember Marty was the first person I think we started to experiment with this thing where we would, Matt and I would compose a, a crazy drum beat with a drum machine mm-hmm. and, then, and then have Marty learn it and then just do it live, you know? Yeah, he's so, a machine, man. I don't, I, yeah. He can keep a beat and the, the tempo, like, it, one of the probably the best drummers I've ever seen to do that particular thing, you know? Yeah, he's fun to watch too. He is, yeah. He has a lot of energy. Yeah. And he's super psyched to do it, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of when you can it's different than when you know, when you're jamming and then and then you're you're learning a song as a band together and the drummer just starts playing what he plays. You might have suggestions or say, Oh, do this or do that but when you sit down in front of a computer and architect a crazy you know, drum machine beat—that's control. <laughs> you know, 
so it's not like we were like wringing our hands like at last we had control <laughs> um, but but i mean we did ju- we just you know it was just another way of, of creating that that um was it just seemed really cool because sometimes what you can do in a studio or on a drum machine wouldn't be at all what would be intuitive while mm-hmm. you're playing the instrument. So that's that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, plotting a drum beat, I, I, you said you were a drummer, but like even plotting a drum beat from and trying to make it work and then presenting it to someone who is a drummer, they might be like, uh, this is not feasible kind of thing. Right, right, you know? right, right. But yeah, that wasn't the case with Marty. And, and just to be clear, I never said I was a drummer. I said I played drums. <laughs> okay, right, right, right. So just for the record. Let's put, let's put that into parentheses. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, when when did when did you do or when did you think about start doing the label? Well, Matt had been involved with Sugar Free Records, which was a an, an indie label. So I signed a few artists. Um, I think most notably um, the band Wheat, which um, oh Wheat, yeah, 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 it was from Boston, and um, there were some other. They were they were kind of a big thing for for a second, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they went on to sign with a major, so I mean, they 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 had a little run there. Um, so. Matt had been involved with with that from the get go with some friends from Chicago, I believe. And I kind of yeah. And so it, we had we had debated a lo- for a long time, like, well, how do we how do we get signed? You know, as any band was like trying to you get, how do we get signed to a, a good label so we can put out our music? And we could, you know, and there are a lot of people who are just putting out their own music, but it's. You know, it's kind of like that self-publishing stigma. Uh, it's really that's fine when you're putting out just something to sell, but if you don't feel like a legitimate band until you have uh, a label behind you. Of course, yeah. So the workaround on that, in a way, um, but also it fit in with Matt's desire to just have a label that could release music from the Boston scene. Was well, why don't we just start our own label? Then we can more legitimately release our 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 own um music and then we can release the music of other bands and our friends bands and and just anybody who we think is a good band in in the scene uh and so matt matt really spearheaded that ian ian took was really interested in that as well um when yeah he he was uh, part of the scene and i felt as like i i felt like i was kind of just you know, going along for the ride. I, I, you know, I was like, okay, cool. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, but those guys were really enthusiastic. I mean, Ian uh, on, on the design and well, both, both of them on, on the design and, and the, 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 like the, uh, I don't know, just, just getting, getting music to people's ears. It was just, uh, it was kind of cool. Yeah. That compilation that you re- that you released was great. Yeah. Yeah. And and recording, we also recorded bands at our house. We it wasn't we didn't just use our own studio for ourselves. We we provided some low cost studio options for many bands uh, who came through and who are in the scene. It was yeah, it's great. One band that I thought never reached their potential was uh, Hello Attack. Uh, that was 
Yeah. I wish yeah. they had done more. Yeah, they they were they were great and and um, they were good friends too. Did, they were good, good good folks. Did you have any decisions like on who you wanted to do, or was it just like friends? It, word of mouth. Yeah. Friends, friends. I would say it was the most uh, how how it kind of came. It, we I, I, there was a period where I was I was busy all the time, either recording or mixing. Bands. I mean, we were kind of slow at it, but mm-hmm. um, I was, I remember there was, you know, I was working a full-time job and doing that, and you know, what were you doing? in a band. What you mean? Oh, well, I, I was doing most of the engineering and the, and the, um, the, the mixing. What about for a job? So, oh, you mean my job? Yeah. I was, I, was a pre- I was a full-time preschool teacher. So did you go to school for education? Or did you go to school no, for... No, no, I didn't. I went to school for fine art, yeah. So, but apparently, this is what I learned. I, I just kind of, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then, then I figured, oh, yeah, but working with kids could be fun, you know. And sure. then the next thing you know, I found myself in this position. And in Massachusetts, at least at that time, if you had a bachelor's degree, even if it wasn't in education, you had a bachelor's. And I know an art degree is definitely relevant to working sure. with kids. So. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so a bachelor's degree plus, I forget how many credits. It might have been only six more credits. And, uh, yeah, and then I think you you get you can have a, a certification to be a teacher, but only in, in private, um, private preschool. Hmm. So that's what I did, and I did that for a long time. So how did you get into doing what you're doing now? Uh, well, did, did you like, did you, did you want to do this eventually? Like, were you like, oh, yeah, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I just found well, some people fall into things and don't want to do it, yeah. you know, you know, but you seem like you're, you, like, it's like I was saying before the em- empathy and, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. How do you find it? Well, I, I think when, when Charlene, was kind of coming to an end. So I think it was somewhere around 2008 or maybe a little bit before that. And so our drummer at the time was moving back to Seattle. Matt was considering moving to Portland with his girlfriend. And then suddenly, and I was doing the long distance. Yeah, so suddenly I'm I'm moving back into the Pennsylvania, Delaware area. And so everybody's kind of scattering. It's like, okay, I think think we're going to have to put this on the back burner. Um, And so... I moved back to this area around that time, and I was just kind of, I had no idea what I wanted to do. At the, at the time, though, I had a little bit of freedom um, financially, um, just because of the living situation I was in was super, um, you know, <laughs> didn't, didn't put any, and put, sure. did not put any burden on me. Yep. So anyway, I was doing all kinds of random jobs, just trying to make ends meet, and then at a certain point I was just, and... Um, yeah, and I, I had always wanted also to be a, a, either an artist or a writer, so I was really kind of pushing the writing thing again, but then I, at one point I was like, you know, I could also, maybe I should just go back to and get my master's degree, and then I can be a therapist, and then I can make my own schedule, and then I can do uh, as much writing as I want on the, you know, because I can schedule my whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was kind of, that was the thinking, and then... Um, I did exactly that, and um, I have been writing also, but it's... Uh, Fiction, but or... The jo- 
Yeah, fiction, actually screenplays. So, oh, yeah? Um, yeah, the, the, uh, so I'll rewind to the band that I was in in college, Swirlpool, and, and actually the band right after that, I was, in, uh, I was in those bands with one of my friends, Scott Schneider, and Scott and I are now sort of uh, collaborating. So I really have missed the collaborative aspect of being in a band, because mm-hmm. um, writing is a very sort of lonely uh, expedition that you're on. Sure. Um, tends to be. So I, I decided that I wanted to, I thought it'd be cool to write screenplays and, and why not do it with Scott? And so we've been doing that for a handful of years at this point. And cool. we're try, we've got a bunch of screenplays under our belt. I've, I've won a couple of, um, not major awards, but like the last award I won was not, was a very reputable screenplay contest. I did not win the top prize, but I, I did win uh, a, uh, you know, I was in the top five. So um, we're just trying to. At this, we were just talking this morning, and we're trying to um, push it to the next place where we need, we're trying to get some representation and interest in the things that we've done. And so anyway, yeah. How does that, that work? Is a yeah. Creative endeavor. How does? How does uh, I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot of shows now that talk about screen playwriting um, and writing for television or movies. Uh, is it how how tough is it, especially when you're on this coast? Are you writing a lot for the yeah. west coast? Well, the, we we haven't. So the thing is, the before you really even try to get an agent or a manager or try to push things too much, you really need at least three to five screenplays under your belt that are solid, like really good ones. Mm-hmm. So we're at that point. Just as we speak, we're we're really at that point now. But um, it's been a long time coming, and and m- me entering into screenwriting ha- is ju- exactly how I entered into everything else. I have no idea how to do this. I've never taken any classes. I don't. I just want to do it. So I just did some research online, started writing. The first screenplay I wrote was horrible, um, <laughs> and then the second screenplay I wrote was also horrible. But I kept revising and revising and revising, and then it won, it won a little, it won an award, you know. Yeah. So, um, so then, and then I wrote some other horrible ones, and and then some mediocre ones, and then, but but there's so it's a lot of trial and error and figuring it out, and a lot of phone calls. My friend Scott lives in in uh, Brooklyn, so. Um, he, you know, and so there are contacts in Manhattan and Brooklyn that are, are um, screenwriting um, oriented, and I do have friends in LA and some contacts there, but we haven't really, really pushed anything yet. We've had some interest, which didn't come to anything, on a, for some of the screenplays, but nothing concrete. And yeah, so. How hard is it? Well, I'm sure it's very hard, but we haven't really we haven't given it a a full push yet to really know like how difficult it it can be because it remains to be seen. What do you find the most difficult about screenwriting? I mean, I would imagine for me, especially watching as much crap as I do, uh, like shows and movies, like saying uh, dialogue is tough to write. Human yeah. human interaction can be, yeah. I would imagine, is the most Difficult part, but that, tell me, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. It's weird because I, when I first started, I thought I was really good at dialogue, and then later I realized, oh wait, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. And so, I think uh, I think I've gotten a lot 
better at it. I don't know if I'm good at it, but like I, I think I was laboring under a delusion <laughs> uh, that I that 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 dialogue wasn't hard. <laughs> I think dialogue is super hard to make to make it feel natural. Yeah. It can be tough. I still see things yeah. that I make that make it to the screen, and I'm like, oh, who let this go? Who let this happen? Yes, there's a lot of that. It's funny, but um, <laughs> yeah. So the t- the toughest thing I would say is it's probably the toughest thing is finding time to do making time to do it. Let me phrase it that way. Mm-hmm. If you like meditation. You have to make yeah. time to do it, and then you have to make yourself sit down and do it, and that's the hardest part. Everything else, um, there are ups and downs, and, and I mean, maybe the other hardest part is that when you finish your first draft, it feels really great to, to put the end on there, but then, you as, you know, once you've, you've written a few, you realize that it's not the end. You have, you have like, so many revisions yet to come, and it's just... Uh, yeah. Notes from people, uh, notes from producers and shit like that. Well, I, we haven't gotten that far. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the other hard thing is trying to get people, uh, believe it or not, trying to get people to read your screenplays for you and get and just get some feedback. Um, I have some tried and true people who will definitely do that, but but a lot of people they just don't want to. <laughs> they're busy. <you> know? <laughs> yeah. How do you they're find busy. the time to do all this shit? Seriously. Me, me yeah. Well, um, hey, uh, you know, when I set my mind to do something, I, I tend to follow through, and I don't know. Um, so when I when I decided I was going to become a therapist, I did, and and I and I I'm in charge of the schedule of my my days, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I so I schedule a four day work week. I have three awesome. day weekend all the time. Um, so that's partially so that I can create art, and partially because. Now, as I've been doing more, you know, more and more, over time, you realize that being a therapist doesn't take long, actually, to realize that it is emotionally and psychically exhausting. It's exhausting like no other thing. That was a question I was going to ask you, uh, and I don't know if this is too personal or going to infringe on your, just saying, like, how do you compartmentalize that stuff from your patients? Yeah. I... It's funny because in in a certain way, I think that I have always been able to hear people's stories or hear their innermost stuff without judging. Mm-hmm. Like it, it not. I think I've gotten better and better at that actually. But I, I think there's a certain part of me that it's not like. It's weird because I don't feel like I'm super curious about other people <laughs> and their stories. Yeah, but so I, you've chosen but I can, to do this. I can, yeah, it's not. It's not because of that. That's not why I've chosen it. Because mm-hmm. I know other. I have other therapists who are like, I don't know. I talk to them and I say, you know, man, I hate having more than one person in the room, like more than one client, like a family, because when it starts to get all. They start to yell at each other and everything. Then, then it's like, ah, oh, I just hate. I just wish I wasn't there. You know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, gonna get out of there. And, and and my friend, my colleague, is like, oh no, that's the best part. You know, <laughs> like she. That's weird. Loves that. So that's that's not it for me at all. I think. Um, um, yeah. So well, but the question is is. Uh, yeah, so I think there's there's something that I, I feel like is just na- comes naturally to me that I can I can uh, handle stuff I can handle 
um, people's stories and people's weirdnesses or people's, uh, you know, even even when they've done something that's horrible, um, as as long as it's in, you know, talking about it is in service of helping and getting them to a better place, and um, that that uh, that's, I mean, how how different is that from the the song, the perfect song, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you enter into it, you enter into this relationship, you start to feel this sadness, and then hopefully by the end, there's a, a there's a feeling of victory over over the suffering. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, you know, and and I will say that talking to you is that the song the songs that you wrote were necessarily for you, and from what I've from what I've heard. I will say that, like one thing, you know, like you, you say, you like work through these stuff, and you, and you work through all this stuff, and then uh, one uh, a guy that uh, I was uh, involved with professionally said one time is like, manager managers aren't made, they're born. And he said like, uh-huh. if you can't you can't be a manager unless you have the mentality for it. And uh-huh. is, do you think that has anything to do with? being a therapist like just being emotionally uh, yeah. available possibly yeah i mean i think i think it might start or at least for me it started with being emotionally sensitive and then then trying to learning how to contend with that personally and then from there um realizing that that's something that is you know, I had to go through my own stuff. I had to take care of my own shit first before I could help. I think you can only help somebody as far as you've helped yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not that's not a new quote, but I mean, I no. do believe in that. And um, you know, I, I think it's interesting because I had the same sort of mentality with songwriting because I was the the lyricist for almost everything, and I think the songs for me were very autobiographical and I, I almost depended on, on some autobiographical material in the beginning, but uh, for a long time actually. And then I, I remember when that started to change and it became more storytelling. And so, whereas before I felt like it was deeply personal and I could access this deep emotion and, um, and it, it kind of convey that hopefully, um, there's a certain point, yeah, so, you know, the, I think it's the first, no, it's not the first song. Well, the, 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 again, the most recent album that we put out, um, Our Friends Electric, has a song on it, which is called Oh, oh Hey, mm-hmm. and that's a story. It's a story. It's a story about um, two people uh, who are in love, and one murders the other, and the person who is getting murdered at the very end is saying, I hope you get away. I hope you get away with it. And, um, and so that's, that to me was an interesting story. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that was compelling in a completely different way than all the autobiographical stuff for me anyway. Woof. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta listen to that song. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So uh, have you been doing anything recently music-wise, or are you pretty much just focused on uh, screenwriting and your practice? And all that? Well, well, I went uh, I went to art school, and I graduated uh, in, in, the, in the painting department. So I have a bachelor's of fine arts in, in, in Where'd painting. Where'd you go? So Syracuse. Okay. Syracuse University. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, you know, it's a very, very big school, but it has a really excellent art program. Um, so surprising, surprising taken, to me. Yeah, yeah, I know it's a big party school too, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I um, I've recently taken painting back up, so I am now trying to balance my life between painting and writing. And every once in a while, I'll pull down the acoustic guitar and bust out a couple songs, and then put it back on the wall. <laughs> and then it just stays there. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I always thought, I always felt as though painting was my retirement plan. Like, yeah. you know, once I'm old and I'm retired, I'll start painting again. But I started doing it uh, a few months ago, and I've been loving it, and still trying to keep the, I'm still keeping the writing alive. Um, but now, you know, this is eating into my three day weekend. Some God damn it. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> uh, well, awesome, man. I uh, this this has been great, really. I uh, you uh, were very informative. I appreciate it. Uh, and and honestly, like a lot of the stuff that we were talking about, like just existentialism, uh, was uh, eye opening for sure. So. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate well. I appreciate you doing it again, and I appreciate obviously I know uh, we uh, uh, letting us use the song. And uh, I think it's a perfect, oh, perfect, yeah. perfect opening for uh, mm-hmm. for this podcast. I, I love it. Great, yes, uh, I love hearing it that being put to use. You know, it's very gratifying, and you know, I, I'm sure if we had had Matt on, that we would have been able to get into a lot more of the history of Charlene and and things that went down, and um, to all kinds of other interesting things. But um, no, but I'm honestly, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk just you and I because uh we got way more into uh your you know philosophy which is uh I think a lot of what people the history is important for sure but uh where people have gone and what they've done is equally if not more important than the history I think so Sure, sure. Well, <laughs> sure. I don't know if I don't know if that's true of me but <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. It's been an interesting path for for me, and I, I'm I think um, what, whatever it is, I mean whatever it is that the, that your path um, includes. I for for me, it's got to it's it's got to be aimed towards a sense of sense of purpose, sense of meaning, and um, being more alive and awake. And of course, that results in more happiness too, but um, those uh, if if that's your north star, then you never know where it, what, what that's gonna what form that's gonna take. But um, it, it's it definitely makes for an interesting life. Yeah, interesting journey. Uh, well, I think the people who have done this podcast and uh, you included have found their own way. To move to move on and do what makes them happy. I think I, I can't find many people who who do this who are upset with where they are 
and uh, have found something else to uh, uh, fulfill them, I guess, you know? Seems like you found that. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I, there was, uh, we all, I think everybody at certain points in their lives, whether they realize it or not, are offered the choice, you know, to take the safe route. Yeah. Um, well, it's like that Robert Frost poem. <laughs> oh, boy. Right? I don't want to, you know, get too uh, heavy on you, but... Uh, You've already done that. I mean, I think I think we're confronted with that choice over and over again. And um, are you, are you going to take the safe route or are you going to take the route that, is, that feels right um, or it, it has some... Um, it resonates with you. It's going to be creative. It's going to be... Um, meaningful it's going to be fun hopefully um it's going to it's going to be also hopefully helping other people in to do you know in some way otherwise yeah it's it's you know people get on their deathbeds and they're they're looking back with a lot of regret well i i will say that you just uh saying that brought a smile on my face so i i i really appreciate it it's uh you I, I appreciate your outlook, seriously. So, thank you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for doing it again. I appreciate it. It's great. Oh, absolutely. It's it's great, and and um, it's 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 fun to talk about um, things in the past and music and all the all the all the people and and everything that was that that came before and went down. Yeah, there's a lot of history, and I, I it's uh, I I just want to make sure that people don't forget it. That's all. Yeah, well, thanks for doing this, man. Thank really. you, sir. I appreciate it, and thank you yeah. again okay. for letting us use our song, your song, and uh, uh, it, it's at the beginning of every episode. Right. Wonderful. <laughs> thank you. Have a good night. All right. You too. Bye. Bye.